0: John chapter 21, verse 15. And I I, want to preface just so that we have some context of what we're getting ready to read. Jesus is making his third appearance since his resurrection from the dead. And this time he is, he is appearing to Peter and six of his other disciples. And Jesus comes back on this third appearance to many of them doing the same thing he once called them out of. Everybody say out of. They went from fishing for fish, to fishing for men, to to fishing for fish again. They went from worldliness to spirituality and purpose back to worldliness. And like before, Jesus meets them where they are and gives them these instructions and because and he gave them these instructions because they had no luck fishing themselves. And as a result, they caught a multitude of fish. Everybody say a multitude. Jesus tells them, take some of that fish that you caught and bring it to the shore for breakfast. For, for Jesus had prepared a breakfast for them that morning. And it reads in John chapter 21, starting from verse 15, it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon Son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep or my lambs. For those who don't know, a lamb is a sheep that is under 12 months old. In verse 16, he said to him the second time. Everybody say the second time. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. I imagine Peter kind of looking at Jesus a bit more intently because he's asking him the second time. And Jesus says to him, tend my sheep. Last verse, verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. I, I can't trick you into thinking that I love you. I can't manipulate you. I can't convince you of anything because, because Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Imagine the frustration and hurt of Peter that God, whom he loves, would ask him three times if he loved him. Imagine how you would feel if someone you love would ask you three times in a matter of a moment, do you love me? Imagine how offended or maybe even how hurt that you would feel that they would have to ask you three times. Imagine what was going on in Jesus' heart, however. What was going on in his heart and mind that he would feel the need to ask Peter three times. Do you love me? Jesus gave Peter action to back up the love he claimed to have. Because love without action is not love at all. Love. Without action is not love at all. And for the next few moments, I want to preach to you on this subject, the love language of God. The love language of God. If you can place your Bibles down for a moment, we're going to be intentional. And we're going to extend our hands unto the Lord. We're going to love on God for a moment. In your own way, just love on the Lord. Prepare your heart right now in the name of Jesus. There it is. Father, right now. We are your sons and your daughters, dear God, and we stake claim to the idea, dear God, that we love you, that we love you with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, dear God, everything that is within us, dear God, we say that we love you, dear God. And, Father, we pray, dear Lord, that you would bless us right now, dear God. Teach us, dear God, how you want to be loved. Teach us your language, dear God. I pray, oh, Lord, that you would bless us, dear God, that you would bring forth clarity, dear God, and that everything would lead up to an altar call, dear God, at the remainder, dear God, of this message, dear God, that we would pour our hearts out to you in a new way, dear God, to do what you're calling us to do in this hour. Father, I pray that you would anoint every last one of us to worship you in this way, in this moment, To those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let everybody say amen. Amen. You can be seated. I have a timer right here. Um, So I'm going to make sure that I I behave myself and I I don't go 40, 50 minutes. Amen. Amen. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1 through 3, it speaks of a time and a place of peace and harmony when man and God was in fellowship. In the Garden of Eden, you find a safe haven where there is a bridge between heaven and earth. In this paradise, there is no pain, no sadness, depression, there's there's no suffering. There's no lies, there's no stealing, there's there's no sexual immorality. There's no murder, there's no death, there's no confusion, there's there's none of these things in any kind of way, shape, or form. They they didn't exist. It was a safe haven, it was paradise. There was rather a man and a woman living in the image of God after his likeness with the qualities that he has given them. In this garden, in this safe place, there was joy. There was happiness. There was smiles and laughter. Yes, laughter. I believe that God created a sense of humor. I believe that God loves to laugh. I believe that the Lord loves to have a good time with his children. In this safe haven, in this garden, there is satisfaction and fulfillment. And there is purpose. And, and above all these things, there is a relationship with God. Everybody say relationship. Love requires relationship. And I imagine, I love to use my imagination when I read the word of God, and I imagine God having a smile on his face because his great creation he has created to love him and worship him are benefiting and thriving off of everything he said was good for them to have. And they understood the source of everything that they were thriving from. They they understood that everything that was good came from the Lord. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, everything that is good comes from the Lord. Adam and Eve, they understood this. Adam and Eve in the garden were anointed for a purpose. And that purpose was to love God through their worship. Their worship was to respond in action to the voice of God. To those that have an ear to hear, let them hear the Bible lets us know multiple times. And Adam and Eve truly had an ear to hear what the Spirit of God was saying. It was not up in the air. There was no confusion. When when God gave instructions, they understood it. And so it was their response and obedience that showed their worship and therefore their love to God. God's instructions to Adam were to cultivate the garden. That is, to bring out the best of what he had gave them to live in. And imagine that, that, that God would trust man with the responsibility to steward over the, 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 the good thing that he created. When you read the book of Genesis, it says that every time that God created something, he said that it was good. But, but when he created you, he said that you were very good. And he took the very good thing in life to steward over the other good things. And he said to cultivate it, to be fruitful and to multiple, multiply, to bless it. We have to understand that Adam and Eve were not just kids naming their stuffed animals. They they had a real responsibility in life, but they were anointed by God to name, to categorize, to tend to different species of plants and animals. They were experts in wildlife because they were connected to the source of life. They were benefiting and lacking nothing. They they didn't have to get knowledge. They didn't have to get inspired. They didn't have to get motivated to go out to do the work that God called them to do. Why? Because they were connected to knowledge. They were connected to inspiration. They they were connected to motivation. They they didn't have to get there. They didn't have to to get into the presence of God. They lived and they stayed in the presence of God. Isn't it great to be in the presence of God? Amen. Amen. And because they were connected I imagine again God, like a proud father, having a smile on his face because his love is loving him back. Imagine that God's love, like a proud father, his love, Adam and Eve, is loving him back. Adam and Eve were not the only ones in paradise, but God was in paradise with them. God was fulfilled. His cup was running over. God had joy. God was happy. Because his love was being reciprocated. And the one thing keeping God happy, the one thing holding it all together, the one thing that's keeping this love dynamic flowing in this paradise together is this free choice that both parties exercise. That's the one thing that God would trust you with the responsibility to keep the paradise and the harmony going because without relationship, it's impossible to love in a way that God intended love to be. And it was the power of choice that God had gave man. And man at some point used that power of choice to defy God. I've I've heard many people ask the question, why would God give man the power to choose knowing the outcome of making the wrong decision? And I believe that it's simply because God does not create robots. He does not make you do anything that you do not want to do. He does not program you. There's no code for you. Everything is free will. Everything is choice. And so God had to give choice in order for love to be a reality because love requires decision. Imagine your your spouse having no choice but to love you. That would not be love at all. If anything, it would probably be fear. (laughs) Amen? God trusted Adam and Eve to be obedient so that they could continue to live under the covering of the love he formed for them. And God's only ask, his only ask was that they were obedient, that they heeded his words, that they have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. And it's because God's love language is obedience. Everybody say obedience. The love language of God is obedience. In 1992, an author by the name of Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. Who's, who's read that book, The Five Love Languages? Oh my gosh, I did not expect so many people. Amen. He wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. He conducted research and looked for patterns, and he found out what most people said that they needed from their spouse, and he grouped them into five categories. Those, those categories are, are quality time in that some people, their love language is that they love when people share intentional, uninterrupted quality time with them, non-distracted quality time. To some people, that's their primary love language. To some people, it's words of affirmation. They, they love to hear words to, to, to reaffirm the relationship dynamic. They, they love to hear words of appreciation. To some people, it's physical touch. To, to some people, it's gifts they love when people just think of them and surprise them and give them a gift. Who who, who loves receiving gifts, right? If you're, pay attention to your spouse when they ro- uh, rolls their hand, amen. But the other one is acts of service in that someone enjoys when someone does something for them to help them out, right? I'm pretty sure there's a, a lot of people in here, who's like, I enjoy when somebody does something for me. I, there's maybe weight. There's probably responsibility. So it makes you feel good when someone just thinks of the, the weight that you carry and they begin to help you out. And you see, all of the love languages are important, but Gary speaks about how everyone within a relationship dynamic has a primary love language. You see, my love language, believe it or not, is acts of service. I love. When my wife helps me out, the idea that I get to partner in ministry together with my wife puts a smile on my face. It's her birthday today, by the way. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Happy birthday, baby. I love it when she partners together with me in ministry. I love when she partners together with me in life, and, and she does something to show me that, hey, I see what you're going through, and I, I, I want to be intentional about help, helping you out. And that's what fills my cup. That's what helps me out. Her love language is quality time. She loves uninterrupted, undistracted quality time. There, there was one time where it was our first year of being married, maybe a couple of months, and she realized that I'm always on the go. I'm always moving. I don't know what's wrong with my brain. i always have to be doing something. When I come home from work, I would just start cleaning. The same things that she cleaned, not because I'm trying to do it better. I, I just have to be doing something. And, and one time she told me that I, I need time with you. You're, you're distracted right now. And so at the time, she was willing to compromise. So she, she bought me a cheetah puzzle. She bought me a puzzle. And I was allowed to put together that puzzle as we had time to connect and talk about our day. Amen. There was a compromise that was there, but I was I was learning how to be a good husband at the time. Now I can give her better attention, but but hers is quality time and and I cannot ignore my wife's love language and only share show her my love language. If she is telling me that she wants time and I and I keep bringing her gifts then eventually that's going to backfire. Get, there's nothing wrong with gifts. There's, there's nothing wrong. But she has already communicated to me what her love language is. And so she's telling me that this is what I need for me to feel full. This is what, my, what I need for my cup to overflow. And so it's of my best interest and the best interest of our relationship for me to heed the voice of the one that I claim to love. You might ask, why am I talking about marriage? Well, because the church is the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We can clap our hands for that if you're a part of the bride of Christ. And God has his own love language. God's cup wants to be filled. He wants to be satisfied as well. And the groom is coming back for a church who loves him based on his love language and not just what we want to give him. And a lot of times I think that we say, God, just take what I'm giving you and just be okay with that. But but God, you love me how I want you to love me. God, you cherish me how I want you to cherish me. God, I want your time when I want your time. I want your gifts when I want your gifts. I want your blessings when I want your blessings. But when it's time for God to say, hey, here's what I want you to do to love me, sometimes we say, God, just take what I'm giving you. I don't have time. For this right now. I got too many things to do. I got too many places to go. I got too many things to buy. And God is saying, I just want to be loved like you want to be loved. Now, Gary Chapman in his Five Love Language book is, is just an earthly book with great insight, but God has left us with his word, which is a spiritual book with eternal insight. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a series of books about his desperate attempt to restore his love and passion back to its rightful place. God misses what he had in the Garden of Eden. He, he missed the relationship dynamic with Adam and Eve when he was able to talk and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And I believe that there was some kind of physical presence that, that Adam and Eve had access to that, that they, they, they didn't have to go anywhere to find God. God was just there with them. And when you read the Bible, it's God's desperate, obsessive, crazy attempt to communicate to us over and over and over, I want to be loved. In Genesis, he commissions Abraham with the mission to raise a generation to reach the world he loves. In Exodus, he preserves the life of Moses who would love God by leading people. In Judges, he would allow a woman named Deborah to show her love for God and country by, by rising up and leading when nobody else was willing to lead. In 1 Samuel, he anoints a young David who would be known as a man after his own heart. In Job, he would show off the devil, show off to the devil how much a man named Job truly loved him. After he took everything away from him, from Isaiah to Micah, he would raise up prophets who would love him by risking their lives to bring a word to the very people who he was trying to restore back into relationship with them. In the gospels, the disciples showed their love by leaving behind their their built life and taking their skills to serve the Lord. In Acts, God used a married couple, Aquila and Priscilla, who would partner together in ministry to start one of the early churches. In other words, love takes action, and the love language of God is truly obedience. When, when asked by someone with impure motives in Matthew chapter 22, verse 35, it says, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your heart, with all, excuse, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. But notice 39, it says, in the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In both statements, God gives this understanding of love that, that you cannot accomplish the commandment of God without loving. For the Bible says, I know those who love me based on whether or not they keep my commandments. You should love God and your neighbor. And those two go hand to hand. Notice how this understanding, it says to to love your neighbor as yourself. This is not saying that you love your neighbor by, by doing what you would want someone only to do to you. But we are to consider those that we're supposed to be loving like Jesus did. He met us where we were. And he loved us where we were. For example, if Sally loves to get hugs and and, and Susie does not love to get hugs and Sally goes to Susie knowing that she doesn't like to get hugs and hugs her anyway, then that's not love. That's being inconsiderate. (laughs) It's a good thing to get hugs, but but if someone's communicating to you that that that's not the way that I receive love and that's not something that I want, then, then we have to consider that person. A better example, if God says, I want to spend time with you in prayer, but we substitute that obedience with some Christian music to make us feel good about our spiritual lives, that is not love either. And how many times do we have that kind of relationship dynamic with God? God is saying, I just want you to linger in prayer and spend a little bit more time with me. We're in this safe haven. We're in this Eden-like kind of love dynamic. I want you to love on me right now. I've given you what you need, but I want you to spend more time with me. And we say, okay, well, I got this to do, and I got to do all these things. And we, we begin to make up things to do instead of just being obedient, knowing that in the presence of God, we have everything that we need in the first place. God is saying this afternoon, like he spoke to Peter, do you really love me? Have you been speaking my love language, Peter? Have you been speaking my love language, Life Life Point Pentecostals of Athens? In our opening text, I want you to notice how Jesus targeted Peter, the one who Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter is known for being bold and confident in his relationship with God. Raise your hand if you can say, I have a relationship with God. Amen. Keep your hands up if you can say, I truly love the Lord. God knows this. He is known, Peter is known for protecting God and, and, and being invested in the kingdom of God. This is the same Peter who cut off the ear of the soldier for anybody who dared to touch Jesus or the kingdom of God. Peter was that crazy one who was ready to rock and roll every single time that there was a threat. But this is also the same Peter who is so spiritual, who loved God so much that God referred to him as Satan when he struggled for a moment with disobedience. When God said to Peter, the same one who, who he said, on and This Rock I will build my church, God said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Satan means the one who opposes God. Anytime you do or say something that is not ungodly is satanic. This is the same Peter who, in the presence of the very ones he is supposed to be loving and introducing to Christ, denied Jesus three times. Peter told Jesus that that you know all things and you know that I love you. In John chapter 14 verse 21, Jesus says, those who love me, Keep my commandments. That's that's how Jesus, those who love me are obedient. Those who love me are faithful. Those who love me have actions to back up the love that they claim to have. And and if there's no actions according to God, there's no love that is there. There were some worldly things that that the anointed Peter responded to in life. In the moment he had to choose. And he chose to, to love himself for a moment when he denied Jesus. For the Bible says, what would it cost a man if he gained the whole world but lost his soul? It's interesting because in our opening text, Jesus is asking Peter three times, do you love me? The first two times from the original translation from the Greek, it uses the word agape, which means unconditional love. Everybody say unconditional love. That's the, the, the love word that Jesus is using. So he is saying, Peter, do you love me? unconditionally and he asked Peter again do you love me unconditionally but but the last time he asked Peter he says do you love me but he uses the word phileo which means a brotherly love now we're very good at being brothers and sisters in Christ we're we're very good at the brother and brotherly and the sisterly love but but God is saying to our church do you love me unconditionally do you love me more than these do you love me more than all these things in life do you love me Because God's primary love language is obedience. Everybody say obedience. It's good to have acts of service. It's good to to be a servant in the kingdom of God. It's good to be a good gift giver. It's good to pay your tithes and give your offering. All these things are good, but God is saying that my primary love language, the way in which that I want to be filled, is through your obedience. Because my cup is not full with you until you are faithfully obedient. Peter, I know that sometimes you will get weary in well-doing. I know that sometimes this fight that we live, especially in this country that we live in sometimes, I know that sometimes it's going to feel embarrassing. And I know sometimes you're going to feel ashamed and you're not going to want to share your faith with somebody. I'm speaking to a lot of you teenagers right now. Sometimes it's going to feel as though that there, there, there's this pressure on your shoulders, this world on your, on your life. And I, I know that sometimes we, we, we allow our families to be an excuse. And, and God is saying, but do you love me? Do you love me unconditionally? I know that there's hobbies and vacations and sports and video games and and bucket lists and all these things that we want to buy and all these things that we want to do, all these places that we want to go. But God is saying to our church, but do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than all these things? There's nothing wrong with these things that God is saying, but he's saying, I just need to know that you primarily and firstly seek ye first the kingdom of God and all my righteousness. Don't worry about all these things for your heavenly father knows what you have need of. Can we just be a family and be honest that there are some things that rightfully so we worry about in life. We worry about health. We worry about time with our family. We we worry about our finances. We worry about all these things. But but God is saying that I am the one who's in control of all these things. and, And I'm the one who gave them to you in the first place. I just need to know, do you love me more than all these things? Or are these things in life above me? When it comes ready to make a choice of all these things, which do you do first and which do you do primarily? When it comes time to a, for a prayer meeting at church on a Wednesday night or to be together with your church in a small group, when it comes to a Sunday service or a Sunday evening, evening service, what is primarily on your mind? And God is asking the question, do you love me more than your time? Do you love me more than your finances? Do you love me more than your family? Here's a tough one. Do you love me more than your spouse? Do you love me, Peter, more than all these things? God wants our heart. He wants our obedience. He understands that, that all these things that we're seeking for in life, we're going to have them by default of being in fellowship and relationship with him. We're going to have them by default of being obedient unto the Lord. Today, the one who is loved wants to make a choice, wants us to make a choice as a body of Christ. He wants us to make a choice in feeding his sheep, like he told Peter. He wants us to make a choice to love him by living out the mission to reach the lost whom, we, whom he also loves. He wants us to make a choice to love him by loving people. God's heart is for a time back in paradise where he can spend time with the apple of his eye. In eternity, he wants more than to, just to love us. You are not the only special people in the eyes of God. God is saying that, that, that I don't just want to love you in eternity. The Bible says that God is not slow in keeping his promises. He's not slow in coming back. He, he says that he's just not willing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And, and God is saying that the best way that you can love me is to be obedient and to do what I'm calling you to do, Peter. Because upon this rock, I'm going to build my church in the gates of hell. That hell that you're trying to avoid will not prevail against it. That, that, that financial debt that you're trying to pay off, it, it's not going to prevail. Nothing is going to go against the kingdom of God. And God is saying, don't buck the system. Don't buck the love dynamic. Continue to be faithful. Continue to spend time in prayer. Continue to read the word. Continue to be faithful. Continue to fast. Continue to do the work of the Lord. Continue, continue, continue. Because he says my love language is obedient. He's saying I know those who love me and those who love me would keep my commandments. He says my sheep know my voice. Adam and Eve understood the voice of God so when God spoke they responded. It was not in sh- until they chose to be disobedient, that they stopped loving God. Disobedience is a statement of not having love. Anytime. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we're going to have it all together. But God says, I want you to have a mindset. And, And here's how you can tell. Here's how we can tell as individuals, and I'm speaking to myself right now. Here is how we can tell if we truly love God with obedience. When you seek out opportunities to be obedient and faithful to God, that's how you know you truly love God. We're reactionary. Sometimes we wait until the man of God. Sometimes we wait until pastor gives us a decree or tells us to do something. And then we say, okay, I'll do it. But, but God is looking for a church. God is looking for a people in this hour who's going to be proactive in their obedience. They're not going to wait for somebody to come to them and say, hey, what is this faith that you have? God is looking for a church to be intentionally obedient, to go out into the world, to love him by loving people, to be intentional with our obedience. Instead of looking for excuses not to do, God is saying, I'm looking for people who are looking for excuses out of doing worldly things into doing the will of the one who has sent them. God wants to love more than just us. God wants his church to go. He wants to love your children. He wants to love your spouse. He wants to love your friends. He wants to love your coworkers. He wants to love these people in our country. He wants to love people in other countries. He wants to love on those who are gender and sexually confused. He wants to love on the depressed, and he wants to love on those who have suicidal tendencies. He wants to love on those who are spiritually confused of different religious faiths and persuasions. God wants to love on all of those people as we all stand right now. God is desiring to love. But God is saying, do my people, do my bride, who I claim that I'm coming back for, do they truly love me or do they just say that they love me? Peter, I, I know that you, I know that you feel strongly towards me. I, I know how you respond when the Spirit of God is moving and, and you're crying and you're filled with emotion, but God is saying after all you all the tears, after all the the, 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 the snot buckets and the, you know how we get when we really pray. When we really are just going in the spirit and we're slayed and bobby pins pins for the girls are flying everywhere and you have to take off your glasses because they fogging up. And God is saying after all of that fog and after all of the, the Kleenexes, after all of that stuff, he wants to know that when you leave, is your actions going to back up the love that you claim to have for me?